How's it going? So, today, we're going to be speaking about a woman you might be familiar with. Quite short, big poofy hair, ridiculous accent. We're talking about none other than Margaret Thatcher, the milk snatcher. Now, this episode has been a long time coming because when I thought about starting a podcast in which I rant about things that annoy me or things that I can just rant about in general, Margaret Thatcher was near the top of the list, unsurprisingly. So, <laughs> we're finally coming round to another history episode and, yeah, it may be a long one, but it should be entertaining too, so why don't we just get into it? So, just a quick disclaimer before we get into this. I think there's this kind of narrative around people speaking about Margaret Thatcher and the fact that it's like overdone that people have too many bad things to say about her and I'm kind of like mm, for good reason <laughs> and yeah the disclaimer is essentially I will be going over her political career and it is unlikely to be a shining five-star review so it's unlikely that any fans of Margaret Thatcher will be listening to this, but if you are, you should probably just tune out now and have a long, hard think about your political affiliation. But moving on from that. So, Margaret Thatcher, first female Prime Minister, longest serving British Prime Minister of the 20th century, from 1979 till 1990, and overall, very divisive figure. For reasons I can't understand because, really, I can only seem to remember the bad things about her. <laughs> but I feel like that's quite common if you grew up in the North. Do feel free to correct me if I'm wrong and I can just, uh, ignore you. <laughs> but, to summarise Margaret Thatcher's political career... Across her longest serving tenure, she reduced the influence of trade unions, privatised industries, scaled back public benefits and opposed Soviet communism, as was common at the time. Because way back then, the enemy wasn't immigration on a whole. That was scaled back a bit. We were more bothered about the spread of communism and those goddamn Soviets taking over. And, ironically enough, the enduring nickname of the Iron Lady was given to Margaret Thatcher by a Soviet army newspaper, a Soviet journalist. And she decided, you know what, I actually quite like the sound of that, I am the Iron Lady. It's like, oh, right. So... You know, Soviets aren't all that bad then, are they? Because they did give you a nickname that you actually quite liked. But that aside, there are a few obvious points that kind of defined her career, of which trade unions, privatisation and Thatcherism on the whole, communism and the Falkland Islands are 
all major players and of course the dreaded community tax which we will be getting into in due course but to start off with Margaret Thatcher's life she was born in Lincolnshire in 1925 and I don't know why that made me pause for so long the first time I read it but it does certainly put a lot of things into perspective (laughs) but she actually studied chemistry at university and joined the Oxford Union Conservative Association when she was at university and her political career started off with an attempt to run for parliament in a labour-leaning constituency, Dartford and her uh, fantastic choice of slogan was Vote right to keep what's left. Unsurprisingly, she lost. (laughs) And I don't... I read it and I just thought, well, it wouldn't exactly take a genius to think that that shit might not fly. However, she did get more votes than other Conservative Party members. So, you know, small wins, I suppose. But... It would take until 1959 for her to win a seat and it was in Tory-leaning Finchley. Now, I don't know anything about the place, so really, this is all I know about it. (laughs) And I have to say, it does leave a poor impression. I'm not only joking. Could anyone have predicted what Margaret Thatcher would become in later life? I suppose that's a question for a true crime type documentary. Nature or nurture? Did we make Margaret Thatcher or was she born that way? I'm not sure anyone's qualified to answer that, but that doesn't usually stop people. So, you know, feel free to let me know your opinion on that. But the first time she really comes into societal awareness was when she became the Secretary of Education and Science in 1970. And that is where she earned the name Margaret Thatcher Milk Snatcher. Or if you were anti-Margaret Thatcher later on, it'd just be Maggie Thatcher Milk Snatcher, depending on preference, really. Now, she got this nickname for eliminating a free milk programme at schools. <laughs> and for her, it was her first taste of maximum political exposure in the media for minimum political gain. From what I've read, it did seem like she wasn't necessarily in favour of it herself, but obviously, as part of a party, you have to make decisions based off of usually a majority rule or hierarchy. And for Margaret Thatcher, this was the first indication that political decisions that might not have the best output in the end could still lead to exposure that she might not have been expecting and Margaret Thatcher Milk Snatcher was a nickname that stuck with her opponents for quite some time and it's one of the things that a lot of people whether they know about her or not will still know which kind of gives you an indication as to which direction her legacy leans in depending on where you are but after this By the time it gets to 1975 and the Tories are back in opposition, she defeated former Prime Minister Edward Heath and took leadership of the Conservative Party. And not many people expected this to actually occur. 
it wasn't as if anyone thought the next leader of the party would actually be Margaret Thatcher. It was quite a shock to most people within the party and kind of started a rift that would continue throughout her political career with a group she would refer to as the wet. And these were people who opposed her ascension to the leadership in the party and the views and policies that came along with it. Although one does have to wonder if there is a hint of misogyny in there, but for a woman who never gave a damn about sexism and gender roles in the workplace, considering how much she struggled to get to the top in her industry, I'm not sure that I'm willing to attribute that to anything for her sake. So, moving on. Thatcher's government was obviously strongly opposed to the previous Labour government in a multitude of ways. Obviously, primarily the view of communism being absolute evil, (laughs) Soviet communism obviously, and Cold War tensions, especially since Margaret Thatcher had great respect and an otherwise great relationship with Ronald Reagan, which to me also indicates a lot. (laughs) But I'm not going to get into Ronald Reagan or Ronald Reagan, however you want to say it. Um, purely just because I would be here all day, really. As if I'm not going to be here all day anyway, but... Yes. So, this government had a few key things in mind before they even got the feet on the ground running. Because (laughs) the past Labour government contributed a lot to the victory of Margaret Thatcher's government due to a small event we call the Winter of Discontent. Now, this was under Callaghan's Labour government and basically there was mass trade union strikes and it had a detrimental impact on people's day-to-day lives and combined with the coldest winter in God knows how many years, hence Winter of Discontent and another Shakespearean reference, Thatcher could capitalise on it because Callaghan ignored the severity and you've got media outlets saying crisis? What crisis? Because, you know, feigning ignorance for something that's affecting the population on a majority scale probably isn't the best idea really, is it? So Thatcher capitalised on that when campaigning, realising that trade union strikes were an essential issue for her government to tackle to avoid another winter of discontent. And just to put this into perspective, the winter of discontent is still being brought up by politicians today, even though the effect of the winter of discontent versus the policies that aim to combat it are disputed as to which has been more detrimental to the economy. And yes, Boris Johnson has also referred to the winter of discontent because I'm sure nobody will be talking about the three years of lockdown discontent in a few years to come, but we're focusing on another Tory government that I despise, so moving on from that. Thatcher's government knew that these were key issues that they would have to tackle across her political tenure, so they actually started in her first term of increasing taxes on public spending, selling off public housing and putting in austerity measures. But her popularity was really at an all-time low because 
the economy had not yet shown any signs of bouncing back. Unemployment was still at an all-time high. And were it not for another key event, one wonders whether she would have had another term. However, roll in April 1982 and Argentina invade the Falkland Islands. Now, were the British public aware of the Falkland Islands before this? I'd hazard a guess at probably not. (laughs) But the Falkland Islands were a sparsely populated English colonel. Yes, colonel. We are the colonisers. That was what we were very good at. (laughs) But the Falkland Islands were about 300 miles from Argentina and 8,000 from the UK. On May 2nd, a UK submarine sank an Argentine cruiser outside of the exclusion zone, killing nearly 300 people aboard. And this was seen as controversial as the Argentine cruiser was outside of the exclusion zone. But what followed was British troops eventually, after heavy air attacks, capturing the capital of Port Stanley. Now, for Thatcher... This basically was probably one of the proudest moments of her career because she thrived on a, now we say wartime, obviously it seems minute in comparison to say Winston Churchill, (laughs) but point being the snap decision making involved in a crisis time like that clearly was more adaptable to her as a person than she found peacetime government to be and she would frequently allude to this throughout her career again because it was a moment that made her more popular it it did heavily influence people's choice to re-elect her and the Falkland spirit she'd always speak fondly about this you know glossing over the 300 plus deaths but whatever This was a strong point for her career and it was something that, again, she would frequently refer back to because she knew that it was one of the few things that did increase her popularity in public perception. So this did help her win a second term. And in her second term, she decided to spend her time targeting trade unions. (laughs) Is anyone surprised by this turn of events? I think not. So, as I said, this fear of trade unions and the power that they had came from the winter of discontent and the fact that both public and private sector workers did strike en masse during this time and it was not just detrimental to the government but also just regular working life on the whole which meant that they wanted to avoid this at all costs which meant stripping back the powers that trade unions had and the ability that they had to strike fast and well. Now, one of the things that they did was they made sure that trade unions were required to hold a secret ballot before work stoppage and a refusal to make any concessions during a long miners' strike, a year-long miners' strike from 1984 to 85, was central to that point because Scargill didn't hold a ballot (laughs) 
because he'd lost his previous free when it came to strike action, which meant that the year-long strike was declared illegal. And this was followed by Margaret Thatcher's infamous The Enemy Within speech, which a lot of people, you know, took to mean, yes, the working class people are the devil. And, I mean, is it that far off based off of what she said? But point being, the whole having them hold, having trade unions hold a secret ballot before stoppage was very effective because Scargill's refusal to do so then meant that a year-long strike was quashed and basically amounted to nothing good for anyone within a trade union and trade union membership dropped drastically during Thatcher's time as Prime Minister, unsurprisingly, because when you consider the fact that all they see in the media was the really heavy police response to striking and the fact that it just wasn't successful as it had been in the past, people didn't necessarily see the benefits of joining a trade union as they had under a Labour government. And, you know, there was also the IRA assassination attempt in Brighton in 1984, which again, she always seemed to kind of go through this massive dip in popularity and then it would kind of rock it up. So in a first term, it was all of the policies she was bringing in led to a lack of popularity and then the Falklands War put it back up. This time it was, oh, she's involved in trying to uh, (laughs) fight trade unions and then she nearly gets assassinated by the IRA and decides to go ahead with the Conservative Party conference the next day anyway and gives her the ladies not for turning speech. And can I just say, she didn't write it herself. Props to her for still going out the day after, but I mean, I would be surprised if someone didn't just to basically say, "Mm, look at me, I'm not dead. You know, and I would just like to add that I'm not discussing Thatcher's approach to Ireland in this episode because I honestly think that's like a 50 minute discussion at minimum just by itself. But point being, it's it's very unsurprising why there was hostility there. <laughs> Same with uh, the Scottish who were frequently beaten down by Thatcher's words about Scottish independence being a bit of a joke, which... Yes, I can see why Scottish people and Irish people might not like Margaret Thatcher. And I stand in solidarity with that decision. Well, following up the issues with trade unions, eventually there was the closure of over 150 coal mines and there was a massive reduction in blue-collar industries. Now, the coal mines being closed, devastated entire communities, and it is not drastic to say you can still see the effects of this today. If you can hear my neighbour pressure washing in the background, I apologise, but they've been at it all day. (laughs) But if you do go around the UK today, then it isn't a stretch of the imagination to say that the effects of the principal industry of a small town being stripped away is obviously 
going to affect it for generations because instead of John and his son Jack both going into coal mine and then Jack's son going into it after him, your principal trade is stripped away due to austerity measures, education, cutbacks. People are struggling to get further education or just adequate primary education to move into another industry. And yes, a lot of the areas in the UK that had their principal industry taken away are the areas in which unemployment is still the highest. So it's not really a stretch to say that what she did had such a long-lasting negative impact. And the reason why these towns came out en masse after her death with a lot of vitriol and I'm you know not condoning it but here in the UK we did bring up Ding Dong the Witch is Dead to number one on iTunes when she passed away so anyone sitting there in judgment well it was one of yours in the words of that iconic meme (laughs) but yeah Trade unions, industries, all pushed away. And this was all part of Thatcherism. Now, what's Thatcherism? So, one of the principal aspects of Thatcherism was privatising British Telecom, British Gas, British Airway, and even Rolls-Royce. Now, the central point of Thatcherism was... Margaret Thatcher's belief that the government creates conditions for growth. We are all individuals in a society. The government cannot drag us up. It can create conditions in which we can grow. And this is through economic stability and efficiency. So low tax, low interest rates, low inflation, low welfare payments and privatisation. Now this is a key point with low welfare payments because Thatcher was very much a fan of the idea that hard work and strong moral principles were the way to create growth and wealth. That too many people expected the government to hand things to them rather than trying to accumulate it themselves. So her social policy was very much one of homogeneity She wanted a homogenous society that held capitalist values and social and moral conformity. And when I say moral conformity, a prime example of her adherence to moral conformity by her standards is allowing Section 28. Now, a quick summary for anyone who doesn't know what Section 28 is, it banned the propaganda of gay relationships in education settings from primary up to university many university groups had to disband if they had an lgbt focus although primarily we are speaking about gay relationships so anytime anyone says to me well early on in her career margaret thatcher opposed homosexuality being viewed as you know a punishable offense yeah but she also brought in section 28 didn't she so there's mixed signals and then there's just "Mm, really though But Thatcherism led to this interesting kind of byproduct, which was that fewer people were employed in traditional blue-collar jobs, manufacturing, etc. And there was an expansion of ownership of capital, so shares and houses. And this meant that the middle class expanded 
exponentially. So there was this kind of hostility towards socialism because these people that may have been blue collar workers, working class people prior, were now part of the middle class due to expanded ownership of capital. And they were hostile towards socialism because they didn't want to lose the shares or the houses. Because if a Labour government came in, for example, then they would start buying back public housing and privatisation wouldn't be in the picture and the expansion of ownership of capital wouldn't be a thing either. So this new growth in the middle class meant that Thatcherism was, in essence, seen as a positive thing in terms of the benefits of wealth accumulation for a larger middle class. However, (laughs) she then brought in the community charge, also known as the poll tax, and this replaced domestic rates that were charged based on the nominal rental value of a home, and the community charge instead was basically the same amount charged to each adult resident. (laughs) Now, as you can imagine, this is not going to go down well, because if you go from charging based on nominal rental value, then you are being charged based off of what you have. If you go to the community charge, then regardless of household income, mortgage, all of the bollocks they love including in tax charges, you're being charged the same as every fucker else. Now, this was arguably... Now, I would like to think Section 28 would be, but I definitely think that the poll tax was the nail in the coffin. The protests that occurred after this were widespread, and I think nothing could have bounced about from this. There wasn't a Falklands War or an IRA assassination attempt that could have boosted up her popularity after this, especially when it came out years later that she didn't even pay it herself. (laughs) Which, in all honesty, I thought was kind of funny, but for all the wrong reasons. But yes, the protests about this brought together a lot of people because... Previously, the policies that she'd enacted that were unpopular did affect specific groups in society and it wasn't as widespread. You know, trade unions, gay people, (laughs) working class. And now it's, yes, you'll all be charged the same. And that didn't go down very well. And then we get the internal conflict within the Conservative Party and Margaret Thatcher lost the last member of her original cabinet and then this, uh, you know, other dicker called Michael Heseltine decided to challenge her for the leadership. She didn't win a majority in the first ballot, which isn't very good, (laughs) really, because she was confident that she would and when she didn't it was a clear indication that things were going south. And she decided to consult with the Queen and her cabinet before making a final speech in the Commons and resigning. And I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with her stepping out of Downing Street in tears and getting into her car because she saw this as the ultimate betrayal. 
And ironically enough, um, part of her agreement stepped down. She did not want Heseltine to lead the party and he didn't end up leading them anyway because John Major did. (laughs) So, think what you will about that. But in her later years, Margaret Thatcher was a, a great lover of Tony Blair due to the New Labour movement which very much was aligned with Thatcherism and she also agreed with his choices around the Iraq war but not the decision making behind it. Just a fun fact for you there because I thought "Mm, yeah back at it again are we? And this has to be a very brief one-stop tour for all of the stuff that Margaret Thatcher got to because foreign policy wise, her opinions on the EU, Ireland, (laughs) her relationship with US presidents and her approach to Soviet communism, you know, these are all things that could be gone into in a lot of depth but (laughs) I think that for me my enduring impression of Margaret Thatcher will always be of a woman who not even necessarily knowingly decimated entire working class society (laughs) just off of a belief that well if you work hard you'll get what you want stop being moaning minis all right okay right well I'm not moaning but I'm still not rich so what's the deal Margaret (laughs) but yeah there is a good reason why that name brings up a lot of debate whenever a northerner hears it and now you know why as though a lot of you didn't know all of this sooner but it's been quite nice doing another history episode because I feel like it has a little more structure to it and a lot of people listening to longer podcasts when they're going out for their government sanctioned walk <laughs> but I hope you, you've you learned a little bit about Milk Snatcher and my opinions of her and I hope that it, it's something you could get a bit of a laugh out of because lord knows it takes retrospect to laugh at a lot of these things <laughs> but yeah I hope you enjoyed a brief whirlwind tour of Maggie Thatcher Milk Snatcher's career as Prime Minister and if you have any requests for the history episodes please do let me know and again apologies for the pressure washing in the background (laughs) have a good one